Welcome everyone to Settlement Nation. I am Courtney Barber and today I am joined by my co-host Chris Boer as well as Jim Avery, a trial attorney all the way from Missouri. Now Jim has committed his civilian life to fighting for those injured and is a three-time combat veteran in both the United States Marine Corps and the Missouri Army National Guard and toured in both Iraq and Afghanistan. Jim started his law firm after suffering a serious personal injury himself so he knows what his own clients go through and received a $1 million settlement in his second year of practicing and also received a great verdict today in a case where he used the methods he learned in running with the bulls, which we're also going to discuss. So welcome, Jim. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on, Jim. So when we were doing some research on you, one of the things that I really liked was your tagline for your law firm, which was making personal injuries personal. So one... Have you trademarked that? Two, if not, why not? And then if you could maybe just speak to how you live that phrase out in the way that you represent your clients. Yeah. So, um, no, I haven't trademarked it. I guess I'll be doing that as soon as this podcast (laughs) is over. Um, You know, I just, I guess when I started my firm, I try to think of, you know, something that was personal to me. And, you know, a personal injury case most people don't even know how to go about, you know, how to handle them, you know, themselves. And a lot of lawyers, um, I think what differentiates me from other law firms in my area is a lot of people are, you know, kind of turn and burn law firms. For me, it's personal. You know, when I'm done with my case, I'm usually friends. 99% of the time I become friends with my clients. I, I may not know them ahead of time, but by the time it's over, you know, I had a guy call me the other day and I asked him how his dog and I knew his dog's name. I haven't talked to the guy in a year and a half. Um, so for me, it is personal. Absolutely. From here, we sort of want to transition a little bit into your military background because that really stood out for me. We met uh, last year at a trial by human event in Santa Barbara and you told me who you had been a three-time combat veteran and you did IED destruction. Can you tell everyone and you know, put in some gory details as well about what it was like being in the military for so long and working in that line of um, defense. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm actually still in the Army National Guard. I'm waiting on my retirement process to occur. So um, as you said, I've been in three different wars. Uh, When I was in the Marine Corps, I went to Somalia with the Marine Corps. And with the Army National Guard, I went to Iraq and Afghanistan. In Iraq, I was enlisted. Um, I became an officer after maybe two years after my tour in Iraq. But so I was the machine gunner on top of the vehicle. So my unit was tasked with destroying IEDs. So we were we were actually one of the first units that drove around Baghdad looking for roadside bombs. It was uh, it was interesting. So when we first got there, um, we didn't have any special equipment. We got the special equipment a few months into our tour, and that equipment is you can Google it, but one of them is called the Buffalo. It's a, this huge thing that has a V-shaped hole on the bottom of the vehicle. And that is to deter blasts. If, you know, you are blasted, it goes out instead of coming up on top of the vehicle. And it's got a big mechanical arm. That vehicle was actually in one of the Transformer movies. It was, a, oh, wow. it was one of the bad guys. So I didn't drive in that vehicle. I rode around on a different vehicle, um, uh, another up-armored vehicle that was designed for mine disposal in South Africa is where it originally was uh, made for. So I was the guy that drove around sticking out of the vehicle, um, you know, 
with the 50 cal machine gun on top. That's the, the really big machine gun that if you got shot by it, it would probably cut you in half. That's how, how big the rounds are. So I was that guy. And, uh, you know, my unit was successful in that tour. We didn't lose anybody. Um, we had a lot of blasts around us and we had a lot of, uh, you know, pretty scary times, but luckily we made it out of there without losing anybody on that tour. Now, when I went to Afghanistan, different environment altogether. It's nothing like Iraq. It's very, it's a lot more dangerous in my opinion. And, uh, these people, you know, they've been fighting wars for, for centuries there in Afghanistan. So unfortunately we did lose, uh, several people in our tour there. I was an officer, so I wasn't, I was no longer driving around on top of vehicles, like something out of Mad Max, but you know, I was, my unit was still tasked with finding IEDs and destroying them. I was just more in the control center for that tour. And what are some of the things, obviously this is a very pressurized situation. What is it like to work Jim under this type of pressure daily? Yeah. So it's it's interesting. So when I was in Iraq, um, when we first started out, everybody was afraid to go get the bombs. Um, We originally had to like dismount our vehicles, go up to the bomb maybe dig it up. Um, and then we would destroy it. We would have explosives, our own explosives. So we would do a controlled blast about halfway through the tour. Everybody was fighting over who got to go blow it up because it was exciting and fun. And as we got close to the end of our tour, um, you know, everybody started pointing fingers, telling everybody else it was their turn because we knew that we had made it through alive and we didn't want to, you know, have that one event, maybe be the one that prevented us from coming home. Um, the pressure though, so you don't really realize about you don't really realize the pressure you're under until you come home, and you have a chance to decompress. Um, I I went back to work at the time I was actually in the Missouri House of Representatives. I was a state representative while I deployed, so I actually got reelected when I was in Iraq. But um, when I got back, I went to work literally the next day. So I got home the next morning. I was at the Capitol. Um, I never really decompressed. So I don't think I realized it, but I had suffered from some minor PTSD. And when I got back from Afghanistan, um, I had more of a chance to decompress. And, you know, I was a motorcyclist. I used to ride motorcycles and I started having panic attacks on the motorcycles. So because of PTSD. So something about driving down the highway correlated with my time driving around looking for bombs. And uh, that was kind of the end of me being a motorcycle rider. So I went home one day after having a panic attack, parked my motorcycle, and that was it for me. I never rode a motorcycle again, but, you know, now my PTSD is under control and I don't have the same anxiety that I used to. And that's really interesting um, reflection there on your time. How did it go from, say, coming back, you're working, to then transitioning into lore and then from the time that you had serving our country, what were some of those maybe tools or things that you learned that helped you in the courtroom now? Well, I think, you know, I kind of have a, I kind of have an attitude about me. Um, I think probably most trial attorneys, I would say we're mostly, you know, type A personalities. So, you know, whenever I have to go, even for a, a hearing before a judge, I don't know, I, it's probably the Marine Corps 
inflated my ego a little bit, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> and my army friends have given me a nickname, which I can't say because this is somewhat family friendly, but <laughs> the initials of my army nickname are JMFA. And my first name is Jim and my last name's Avery. You guys can figure out the rest. So, you know, I know this sounds, sounds strange. I even have it put inside of my suits that says this suit is custom made for JMFA, but it's, it spells it out. Because when I walk into a courtroom, I want, I want the confidence that I have to know that I've been through all that I've been through. There's nothing that really scares me in life. You know, when you are holding a bomb in your hands, you know, that can blow up, going into a courtroom is easy. You know, there's nothing that they can do to me that's going to blow my arm off or take my head off or kill me. So going into court is not, you know, it's not a scary thing for me. Um, will I always be nervous? Of course, even for a hearing, because I want it to work out in my favor, but I'm definitely not scared. And actually just speaking of verdicts and settlements, this is a great segue into the next question that I was going to ask you, which, you know, we spoke a little bit about, uh, some of the success that you've had and a lot of our guests, they, they are trial attorneys and listeners are trial attorneys and they love to hear, um, stories from the people that we have on the show, you know, success stories, how you did it, bits and pieces of how you put a case together. And you mentioned to me, you had your first million dollar settlement in your second year as an attorney, which is amazing because you haven't been an attorney for that long, considering your long military career. Can you tell us a little bit about that whole case? Yeah. So um, I guess I should start by telling everybody I'm a new, I'm a newer attorney. I'm going on my fourth year. Um, I was lucky that when I, when I became a lawyer, I started working for a great firm in St. Louis called Schultz and Myers. I had a great mentor. His name's Josh Myers. Josh, he was awesome. He turned me on to Nick Rowley and his methods from day one. Um, I was not going to be doing things the old school way, like a lot of older lawyers. Luckily, Josh is on the younger side of being a lawyer. He's younger than me, actually. So it's nice having a mentor younger than me. Um, he told me to look at as many books and videos from some of the you know key, key lawyers. So I never did things, the, and I'm using air quotes, the traditional way. So I got my first million dollar settlement um, with the help of Josh and his leadership. Um, long story short, I had a girl that was in an, on an ATV with her uncle and he, uh, he was drunk and he crashed this ATV and he destroyed this poor little girl's arm. So his homeowners paid right away. The, uh, the other insurance company for the people that actually own the ATV they denied coverage. So we immediately started setting them up for bad faith because they were denying coverage. Um, it was only when we got the other, the other party, the defense on the uh, homeowners that hired their own attorney, we got in touch with him. Long story short, he requested the whole claims file and that sent off alarm bells at the insurance company. So when that happened, they immediately called us, I mean, the next day and offered to pay the policy limits. They, they admitted they screwed up. Now, we could have maybe gone to trial on that. Well, we could have gone to trial on that and gotten more money. But we also had to consider, you know, do we want to put a 10-year-old little girl through a trial and have to relive and, and rehash the fact that her arm is so messed up that she'll wear one of these decorative sleeves that people wear? You know, some of them, some people have tattoo sleeves, you know, the little slip on things. So this poor little girl wears one of these things now every day. So, you know, we spoke with her family and we made the best decision for her. Um, 
which was to just go ahead and settle the case. But so here I was in my second year of being a lawyer and I had already reached a million dollar settlement. Which is something that doesn't happen to everyone. I think, as you said, your job is to uh, fight for the plaintiff and get the best justice for them, which is exactly what you did. And you spoke a little bit about Nick Rowley, who his name keeps coming up. So we hope that he's listening and, and realizes that we're trying to uh, to get him on the show one day in his book, Running with the Bulls. But you had mentioned that you use some of the, the methods and tools from Running with the Bulls to get another great settlement. Do you want to tell everyone a little bit about that? Yeah, I do. I'd love to. So um, I'll never forget the day that Josh Meyer, my mentor at the time, um, and we're still friends, even though I left and started my own firm. But so Josh said, hey, you need to buy this book. So I went online and I looked and I was like, $165 for a book? Are you kidding me? And you know, I'll never forget. Josh said, listen, you're going to spend 165 bucks. How much are you going to make from that? And I said, all right. And he said, if I didn't make $165 more on my next case, he'd pay me back. <laughs> so I bought the book reluctantly. When it came, I opened it. I read it. And at first I was like, I, who, I mean, I know who of this guy, but what am I, what's going on here? And I didn't set it down. I finished it over the weekend. Uh, I went into work. So one benefit of being a new lawyer is I don't have old bad habits. Um, one of the downfalls is though, Maybe I'm just too new and too stupid not to know any better, but that's also to me a benefit. So I started firing her off demand letters similar to the ones in the book. You know, they give you examples. Mm-hmm. And I had instant great results to the point where now and even, you know, shortly thereafter, when I started posting, you know, hey, I got this, you know, three hundred and fifty thousand or three hundred thousand dollar policy limit, you know, half a million dollar policy limit settlement. I had lawyers that have been lawyers, uh, for more than 20 years that are calling me now asking me for advice. And my advice to them every time is go read running with the bulls. And, uh, I have people that thank me, other lawyers that are way more experienced than me that are thanking me for telling them to read the book. Um, I just hired my first associate. So I opened my firm in April and I have over 200 clients. So I thought I need additional help. So I hired my first associate. She's a been a criminal defense attorney for six years. She starts next week. Running with the Bulls is sitting on her chair of her desk. I already bought her the book. I'm not giving her my book because I use it. I use it all the time. So I already got her her own copy. That's great. Um, so earlier you you mentioned kind of the attitude that you have while you're at trial and when you when you're in a courtroom. Uh, let's reverse a little bit and let's talk about some of the things that you do to prep for those trials. So. What are what are some of the things that you think really get you the best results that maybe other attorneys could, could learn from? I have this kid that got bit by a dog. I send a regular demand first for the policy limits. It's only 100 They tell me that they'll pay $26,000. I send a Nick Raleigh, I call it a Nick Raleigh demand, which uh, basically spells out to them, if they don't pay the limits, I'm going to file a lawsuit. I'm going to get more than the policy limits. You know, they're going to do all these things that they shouldn't be doing to their client and they should pay me the policy limits. And if they don't, this is their one and only chance to pay it. Otherwise, we're moving forward and we're never, ever, ever talking the policy limits again. So their response was, hey, congratulations, we're going to pay you twenty nine thousand dollars. So I sent them a thank you letter and I said, thank you. Um, We're no longer talking about the policy. I was clear about that. We're withdrawing our offer. 
and we'll file a lawsuit. Please let your insured know that to be expected to be served with the lawsuit. So I filed the lawsuit. They hired outside defense counsel and their outside defense counsel called me and said that they would be willing to pay the policy limits at that point. So, you know, we're still in litigation, so I can't get into too many more details, but I will say that we turned down their offer to pay the $100,000 policy limits. And through discovery, I found out that not only has that dog only bitten, not only bitten my client, he's also either nipped at is the word that they like to use, nipped at or bitten three other people. So my client was the fourth one. Wow. And one of them was a, uh, a little girl that lived across the street that in the depot, the defendants denied that that dog ever attacked her. So the defendants are either liars or they have a horrible memory. Well, if that case does go back to, or if that case does go to trial, we're going to have you back on as a guest and we'll do a, a quick 10 minute update on, a, on an episode. So look Perfect. forward to that. So also I know that you do workers comp work. So with COVID affecting so much in uh, 2020, I imagine it's had a pretty significant impact on workers' comp or will have an impact in the future. So I want to get your perspective on how it maybe it's impacted current cases. And then what, what about that impact that might come down in 2021, 2022 from people not being in the workforce as much as they were before? Yeah, so that's a good question. So let me give you a little backstory. So not only do I work do work comp, but I also used to be one of the uh, commissioners for the Division of Workers' Compensation. So my job immediately before being a lawyer, so while I was in law school, uh, I was going to law school part-time, I was appointed by the governor of Missouri to be on the Labor Commission. So I was one of the commissioners. We were the highest level of appeal, uh, administrative appeal on work comp cases. So a work comp judge would make a decision, and if either side appealed, it would come to the commission. And I was on a panel of three. I represented business. There was a labor person that uh, represented the employees and there was an attorney. So there were two lay people. I was one of the lay people. So I actually resigned from that position after I passed the bar and got into uh, personal injury law. But so I actually have a case now um, and I'm working with another lawyer on it. I have a client who she was a paramedic and she contracted some sort of disease during the whole coronavirus, some sort of respiratory disease. Um, it's, it's affected her greatly. Her lung capacity is minimal at best. She's a, she was in intensive care for about four months and she almost died several times. And the employer, um, which is a public entity, I can't say which one, but they actually denied the, the claim. So I, I, suspect we'll see a lot of COVID-related work comp claims moving forward. Um, in Missouri, we do have some some language for uh, especially paramedics and firefighters. That's what this will fall under for my client, respiratory diseases. But I think other states, you'll see more work comp claims related to COVID. So do you think with unemployment rising, though, do you think that the impact of uh, claims that are in the pipeline or, or is going to be significant in 2021, 2022, or do you think it's going to not have much of an impact at all? I mean, honestly, for me, I don't see much of an impact. I'm still super busy. Um, you know, I do a lot of, I get a lot of PI cases. Um, I'm, I'm bringing in 10 or 12 cases a month for personal injury. And then 
where comp, I think there'll be a little bit of lull in comp, but comp takes so long to process through, you know, from the time you file a claim to the time that it's resolved, it's probably two to three years, you know, on average. Yeah. So I think it's going to spread out enough that it won't have a huge impact on most firms that do a lot of comp. Um, but the process itself is slowing down a little bit because, you know, our courts are closed. Um, both our work comp courts and our civil courts are closed in St. Louis. Jim, I want to get a little bit personal right now about, you know, recent injuries that have impacted you. And we're not going to speak about the the circumstances surrounding that so much, even though you do have some great shark bite scars <laughs> now, which we're going to turn that into your, you're trying to wrestle a great white in Australia story. But um, going through this experience, and I know that some of your, you've had some limitations due to the injuries that you've had. How has that affected you in terms of how you deal with your own clients now going through similar things? Yeah. So I had a um, pretty major car crash two years ago. So in 20, 2018, I had a, not a high, high impact, but, you know, 35 mile an hour impact crash that required me to have uh, a surgery. Um, we'll just say that the surgery didn't go as planned. And as a result, you know, things aren't the way that they should be for me. Um, you know, as you kind of hinted, I can't say too much because there is going to be pending litigation um, on that. But, you know, I know what, uh, what results can happen now, some of the complications from surgeries. So when I'm telling a client they need to have surgery, that has a whole different meaning than it did prior to my crash. You know, I can tell them firsthand what the risks are. You know, I could show them what the, what some of the downfalls of surgery are. Um, so I'm probably not as quick now to suggest people go get, you know, a cervical spine surgery, for example, um, because the risks, they're real. I think that benefits me when I go to trial. Um, if I have to ever, ever have to go to trial on somebody that you know, either did or didn't have a cervical spine surgery or some other type of surgery. I'm just using cervical spine surgery as an example. I can, you know, as Nick always likes to say, I can relate to the jury on this one. I'm not going to be talking like an attorney. I'm going to be talking as somebody that has experienced this firsthand. So I can get real upfront and personal with the jury and talk to them probably like no other lawyer can or most lawyers can. Um, because I've lived it. So I don't only walk the walk, but I can, you know, I can talk the talk to you because I've, I've been there, done that. And I have the t-shirt. So I can talk about the real risks because I'm, I'm living them right now. Well, Jim, we, uh, thank you so much for coming on. We have reached our last question and this is a question we ask all of our guests. And since you are a newer attorney, um, it's actually, it's actually, uh, interesting, um, to hear your answer. What do you know now, or what have you learned along this way over the last four years that you wish you knew in, in the first year that you were practicing? So I knew you were going to ask me this question because I've listened to your other podcasts and I've tried to, <laughs> I've tried to like get ahead of this one. And I thought, you know, I, I really was so lucky that I had a mentor um, that didn't want me to just go, you know, try to settle a case for two or three times the policy limits. You know, I I was always, I I learned, luckily, I'm always trying to 
set the insurance companies up and I just give them enough rope to do it. And they do it all the time, um, you know, to set themselves up for bad faith. You know, I told Courtney in an email, you know, I had a case where the insurance company screwed up and I got the client, you know, nine times the policy limits. I would never have had that opportunity had it not been for the mentor I had and the fact that I read with running with the bulls, it really, you know, I'm not trying to, um, promote Nick's book, but it really gave me the confidence, um, to not be afraid to ask. And I've always said this my whole life too. You know, the question to every answer you always ask is no. So I just, I'm not scared. So I guess what do I, wish I would have done five years ago. I wish I would have been a lawyer five years ago. You know, I'd be a lot closer to retirement than I am now. And I'd, I'd probably have my student loans paid off at this point. But, you know, I, I went to the Santa Barbara training um, where I met Courtney and um, I talked to a bunch of people there that had their own firms. And I asked them, you know, one of the reasons I started my own firm really is because I talked to enough people there and they're like, listen, you've got enough cases. You'll get the experience you know, on your own, just go do it. So here I am. I just wish I would have done this five years ago. Well, Jim, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, we uh, sincerely thank you for your service to our country in uh, in the military. I mean, I, I come from a military family. I know how much um, uh, that, that you guys go through and put, put in uh, from hearing it from them. So I really appreciate that. Um, we're, uh, where could someone reach out to you or how do they contact you if they want to either co-counsel a case or just ask you a question? Sure. Sure. Um, so my email address is Jim at Avery, A V E R Y injury Um, they could also call me my cell phone number. I don't mind giving it out is 314-302-5553. Great. Thanks again, Jim. And yeah, thank for- you. Yeah, absolutely. And for all our uh, listeners, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, if, if you haven't subscribed, please hit that subscribe button, like our podcast, review it. So it shows up on uh, more and more feeds from people looking for great legal content. And thank you again for joining us. And we'll uh, look forward to the next episode. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jim. Thanks. Thanks.